A one, a two. We have a thousand things to do, but we'd rather chat to you. With emails and meetings and husbands and kids, we don't have time for this. Just what you need to basic bitches with a podcast. Hello and welcome to We Don't Have Time For This. I'm your host, Gemma Pranita, aka Gemma Peanut on the gram, along with my co-host... Rebsy, Rebsy Duda, Rebsy Duda, Rebsy Day. How is your day today? Bad dabby dozy. That's one for the Scots out there. <laughs> I have a funny story. Yeah. So last night I went on a girls' night with Isla, my daughter, and she's made this gorgeous bestie at school, and I'm really vibe with the mum. Always a plus. Oh my god, such a bonus. Well, because it doesn't always turn out that way, you know. Yeah. Sometimes Isla has made some friends, and I'm like. Cool, cool, cool. Love that for you. Um, don't love the mum. <laughs> anyway, really vibe with this mum. So she was like, do you and Isla want to come for dinner? And I was like, great. Anyway, we took them to like one of my favourite restaurants. Super not really a place you take kids, but that's okay. Well, was it like Hugo's or It was something? Hugo's. <laughs> was, it, was it actually? It was actually Hugo's. That is so bougie for a couple of six-year-olds. They have a kid's menu, so I figure if it has a kid's menu, they're fine with having kids, right? Touche, motherfucker. Yeah. So we had a bottle of wine and some pizza. One of the girls was like, I can't wait till we can have wines together. And we were like, oh, neither. But also all problematic. (laughs) And then we went for the girls to go have a play on the beach. And we thought, oh, let's just get some gin and tonics from Liquorland to have on the beach. We walked into Liquorland and Isla's like, Elsa, Elsa, come. I want to show you my favorite bottle. Took her around to the Prosecco. Oh, good Lord. And showed her this like pretty sparkly bottle of Prosecco. <laughs> and I was like, turn to the other mum. We're new friends, right? So I'm like, oh God, Isla, don't do me like this. And I'm like, <laughs> do you know what she listened to? The segment called Expose Reds. <laughs> Expose <laughs> I'm like, I promise I don't bring her in here all the time. But I do though. <laughs> Dude, if she knows your favourite Prosecco bottle No, it's not brand, my favourite. It's her favourite, which is even worse. It's just a pretty sparkly bottle. Oh, well, that's fine. So she sees it every time we go in. Every every time we go in. <laughs> is that every day? No. No. Second day. Don't be absurd. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. My heart's a little sore and a little wounded. Why? Well, because Rafi is... Her language is really developing hard and fast now that she's nearly three. And, God, the things that come out of her mouth. Oh, like what? So the other day we had a lovely day together and we were walking out from our car to the front door and I said, hey, Rafi, can I tell you something? I love you. And she straight up, deadpan, looked me in the eye and said, I don't love mummy. I love daddy. And then walked up the stairs to our front door and said, mummy, you wait out here while I close the door and lock it. I felt like an outcast. Sick burn, Raph. Sick burn. She probably was just having a lot of feelings that you told her you loved her and didn't know what to do with them. So turned them into hate. I feel like that's really generous. (laughs) No, she's just full-blown daddy's girl. She is. So I'm just really struggling to compete with having a full-blown daddy's girl in the house. Mm. And while I love their relationship, it just brings heart eyes to me. I just feel very on the outer. Yeah. And Rafa does a lot of, oh no, Iggy's yours. I'm daddy's. Well, she's not wrong. But I can't help but feel a little like a second-class citizen in her eyes. They are so the same, Rafa and your hubs as well. Yeah, they're They're like... like 
cut from the same cloth. 100%. They even look the same. They look the same, but also they both love activities. They're busy humans. (laughs) You know, I'm the kind of gal who can sit on a beach, on a towel... Listen to a potty, do nothing. Hubs is like, activities, man. What are we doing today? What mm. mountain are we climbing? What oh ocean God. are we diving into? And Raph is the same. She's busy, 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 busy. And I feel like every parent is like, every toddler is busy. But yeah. she is She's next busy. level. I mean, if her daycare, who have seen hundreds, if not thousands of children through their doors, pulls me aside and says, we have never met a kid as busy and as climby as Raph. <laughs> climby. And it's true. At our daycare, every day we get sent a summary of photos from the day. And there's always a story time section in the photos <laughs> where they're reading the class. I know where this story. is going. I know. It kills me. But in every single photo, every day, without exception, there's the teacher sitting on a chair with the book. All the other kids sitting in front of her. Cross legs. Cross legged. Watching the book. Yep. Just paying attention, being very compliant. And then off to the side is Rafa climbing a wall, a high chair, a couch, the shelves, whatever it is that's in view that day. And look, it's very generous of them to try and include her in the shot. But sometimes I'm like, don't bother. Just cut her out of frame. Just cut I, her out. Just, I'll just imagine she's in the back row listening like all the other kids. So how does this play into your when she's ready for school? Or is that am I getting too deep too fast on that? What do you mean? Obviously, she's going to have to sit and listen at school. <laughs> well, uh, dear listener, Jem just turned into the mind-blown emoji. <laughs> I really did. I, I, I can't imagine Rafa sitting still for any length of time ever everyone in my mother's group were talking about Disney movies that their kids are now watching and I was like I can't get Rafa to sit through more than 15 minutes of a film except when she goes the last guy is he call me okay in case you couldn't work oh she's still going that's my impression of Rafa singing that, Moana. Yeah, that's that's Rebs's impression of Rafa singing Moana. <laughs> if you couldn't work it out either, that's okay. It took me a minute too. No, no, no. Actually, funny convo that Rebs and I had. Well, we have quite frequently is that we fear that we have kids that can't sing. Oh, it's the biggest disappointment of my life. I know. We we are fools for marrying men who are tone deaf. I what mean, were we thinking? What were we thinking? We should have pre-planned the genetic pool. We needed to marry musicians yeah, so we, that we could create prodigy children. Honestly, we should have married each other, moved into houses with adjoining kitchens and got musical sperm donors. <laughs> And then we would have had our dream children. Not these weird, sporty activity kids. I know. Yeah, I don't get it. I know. When I worked out I, that Isla can't really sing. She's not tone deaf like her dad, but she's not like, I'm like, here's the note. Sing it with me. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, um, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I hate to break it to you, Revs, but I... <laughs> That's tone deaf. <laughs> I mean, she, I'm not ready. She, she's not even. So, I I'm mean, not if, if, if that's a true example, she's not even slightly close to oh the note. God, I think you're gonna have it. to let it go and accept. <sighs> let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Dear no. listener, so apologies for destroying your eardrums. Hope today. you weren't listening to this while you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> Teddy, though, might be my theatre baby. Oh, there's hope for you yet. He loves a dance, loves an audience. He's a, he's a bit of a show pony. Bit of a show pony. He will sit still through a live show. Ooh. Yeah, we've been taking him to stuff since he was under two, and he will sit and watch the whole thing. 
Maybe that's what I need to do. I've never taken Rafa to a live anything. Oh, remember the before times when we yeah. could go to live stuff? Pre-COVID. I'd be curious to see. But it's she... an expensive experiment because oh. you got to buy the ticket and you can't be like, oh, she wouldn't sit still. Can I have my ticket money back? Yeah, but what are we talking price-wise? Oh, well, a live thing is, yeah, I don't know, like... 50 bucks? Probably more for the adult ticket. What? Well, probably. So I feel like Teddy and Teddy seem he can. I think he can sing. You guys, I think he's a prodigy. Should I put him in pageants? <laughs> I mean, the boy loves a dress. Loves a dress. And he really does rock a dress. Oh, he really can wear them. Look, okay. I, I, I hear myself. <laughs> I hear myself. I think my kids are amazing. What don't you have time for? <laughs> oh, today's really real for me. Oh. You know what I don't have time for? What don't you have time for? I really genuinely don't have time for auditions. And I, I, I feel sick even saying that out loud because acting and auditioning is like it, it deep embedded in the fibers of who I am and who I have been for the last forever that it feels really weird to say that because if there's one thing that would hold the top number one priority space in my life, it would be an audition. After your kids. Um, that thing I committed to for life. <laughs> I know that auditions have been a time suck in the last few years as you've grown your own business and career. Yes, but I've still always made time for it. Yeah. You know, every actor will be able to relate to this. I don't know how many actors there are in our pool of dear listeners, dear, dear listeners. Anytime I get an email or a phone call from my acting agent, I get this spark of excitement because it's that possibility. Mm. And the thing about jobs in the acting world is they're so far and few between that they can be life-changing. Mm. Like there is that life-changing role. Like if you think about that Australian actor from WA who then landed the lead role in the Selena Gomez produced Netflix series 13 Reasons Why. Like that changed her life overnight. Not yep. while she was filming it, but when it came out on Netflix and everyone binged it and all of a sudden she was a household name amongst teens, yep. that generation, which then opens doors to so many things. It's a carrot hang hanging over your head. It is. So the thing that fuels actors are these never-ending stories of overnight successes. And it's a real thing. It happens. Look at Kate Winslet in yeah. Titanic. Yeah. Like there's just so many examples of that. And I think that's what keeps us chasing that golden carrot. Yeah. And we, we know so many people who chugging along and then boom, you're on this another US TV show or something. And it just happens so quickly. Yeah. And that has sustained me mm. for years, that yeah. hope. But now in the current stage that I'm in in life, I've got two kids under three. I've got a number of businesses that I'm juggling, a team that I juggle. That now when I get an email with an audition, I just groan. Yeah. Is that terrible? But no, I do. Like I kind of go, oh, I've got to try and fit that into my day. And often with auditions, it's like, hi, Jen, you've got an audition for this Netflix series or whatever series. The deadline is tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm always like, cool, I have like 20 meetings tomorrow and a whole day booked with shoots or whatever. And suddenly I've got to try and jigsaw that into my day. So what does an audition involve? Well, this is the thing. COVID has changed the game. So once upon a time, an audition was pretty simple. So you would get an email from your agent, which says the name of the series. Then there's a character description and breakdown so that you know what role you're auditioning for. If it's a mum or an attorney or a daughter or someone's a girlfriend. 
someone's girlfriend. (laughs) Then there's a script. So you have what's called sides, which are audition scenes. And so sometimes you'll either get one audition scene or sometimes you'll have three or sometimes five. It can really vary. And is that like two, three pages of dialogue for? It can be anything from two to seven pages of dialogue, depending on the project. Which you have to learn. Yeah, you want to learn it. You want to be very familiar with it. That's for sure. So then you have your appointment, you turn up all nervous (laughs) with your hair and makeup on with your audition outfit that represents that character and often you're in a room with people that are dressed similarly and it's really funny because it's like ah you're you're definitely going for the role of Sophie the nurse because we all look (laughs) the same in our practical nurse wear with practical shoes and practical hair (laughs) and do you see the same people all the time at your audition yeah fairly frequently I mean I would say when I was auditioning in LA less so because there are millions of actors living in LA in Australia definitely Definitely. You run into old friends. Like it's a much smaller industry. But are you always seeing like other ethnically ambiguous actors? Oh my gosh. In LA, it was hilarious because I would be bottlenecked into the group of ethnically ambiguous, as you said. So I would turn up to an audition. Hispanic and Asian girls. Yeah, all Hispanic, (laughs) Asian, black women, like all of us. For whatever reason, I was often going for roles that Michelle Rodriguez would go for. Like like the badass. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I remember your LA days. Every character description, she wore a bloody tank top. And motorcycle jacket. Yeah, like a motorcycle jacket. Black. That was like my... Like good... oil slicks on her face. Yeah, and I would turn up to an audition and all of us are wearing black jeans, tank top, Doc Martin boots with a ponytail and we're trying to be so badass, which is so funny because I am so far from that in my personality. And yet somehow I must have like a fierce look about me. Oh, I don't know. I just think they have like four boxes and they have to squeeze every woman in the world into these four boxes of archetypal female characters that they have in movies. Yeah, and I'm unfortunately... So you're the badass or sometimes the scientist, I've also... Yes, I've gone for lots of science-y roles, also a lot of attorneys. Is that because you're Asian? Probably. (laughs) Doctors, yep. I tick the Asian doctor cliche. But now, with COVID, everything is done via self-taping. So self-taping's always been around, like actors who couldn't make auditions they would allow for self-taping. But that was easy going for US roles. Yeah, or if you were auditioning for something in America, you would send over a tape. But that wasn't the majority of your auditions. Most auditions, you went in the room. But now with COVID, it's all self-taping. The reason why I said before that I I groan now when I get an audition, it's because the work that it takes to put together a self-tape. So first, you've got to set up a camera. You've also got to set up the space because you want clean wall. Nice lighting. Nice lighting. So for me, that means moving furniture or a picture off the wall and setting up a tripod and all this stuff. You need a reader. You need someone to read the other lines. Then you've got to do your hair and makeup and Mm. get dressed. And for me, that is maximum (laughs) effort because I would live in my pajamas till the day I die if I could. You've got to shoot it. And that can take hours. Mm. Sometimes, as I said, there's five audition scenes. Sometimes there's one. But you want to have a few cracks at it. You're not always going to nail it first time. Then you've got to edit. And that takes takes ages. You've got to put, you know, descriptions of your name and who your agent is at the start. You've got to do a slate, which says if you're a... For real? Yeah, yeah. You've got to do a slate. So, for example, I did an audition. Explain what a slate is for our dealers. So a slate is... I'll give you an example. I did one this week for a TV commercial. So it's... 
Hi, my name is Gemma Pranita. I'm 171 centimeters tall. I have no competing TV commercials on air at the moment. I am available for all of those dates. I can drive a car. I have a full license and I can eat the product. Oh my God, there's no dignity. (laughs) I'm completely available. (laughs) I have no competing contracts out at the moment. (laughs) Funny segue story. I did an audition for a KFC commercial years ago that I ended up booking because we had to say, and I can eat chicken oh and you were vego i was vego i know this really really i remember this but didn't you get on set and you had one bite and you were like oh oh my god it's so good (laughs) and you were like it was spicy chicken popcorn (laughs) but in the audition when they said and are you happy to eat chicken I no joke said, oh, I'm as carnivorous as they come. And I got the job. And at that point, I'd been a vegetarian for like almost five years. I, Dear listener, bit of a backstory. Again, story for another time, which, by the way, our dear listeners are pulling us I up know, for. They're like, stop saying for another time and tell the damn story. Yeah, they're like, honour <laughs> honor the fact that you're going to share this story. I know you story. want longer podcasts, but four or five hour podcasts, no one's got time for that. <laughs> no. We'll keep a list. <laughs> so, yes, that's a slate. Hang on. You were oh. about, about to say something like, story of another time, but people will be screaming into, the, into oh, their fuck, phones. what was it? You've forgotten? Know. It's fine. Sorry, guys. No, what was it? At Jem and be like, what were you going to say? <laughs> Drive her crazy. I can't remember. My brain's really tired today. So that's a slate. Oh, and you know what? I just realized I sound like such a... No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I do. I have to say this. I feel like a brat because there would be so many actors out there who would kill to have three auditions in one week right now. And yeah. I'm sitting here being like, oh, I've got so many auditions. I've got I so have, much going on. And I, have, <laughs> I just, I can't help but listen to myself and feel like an absolute wanker. And I apologize. I feel, I should feel very grateful and lucky for all of these opportunities. And I realize I'm sitting here whinging about it. Okay, don't, but, you don't need to do that. Honestly, please don't diminish yourself. All that work. So all that setting up, the filming, the editing, the slate, all that stuff. And then you don't get paid for that time. No, you don't. And that's what I struggle. You struck- just chuck your hat into the ring and just like hope, hope for the best. It's just like buying a little, going into a raffle. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it feels like. And it's hard because you put all this time, energy and effort. I mean, my God, when I was living in LA, I would sometimes hire an accent coach for auditions. And that would cost, say, $120 oh my God. for a session. Say if I had to learn a Bostonian accent or a very specific New York Queens accent or whatever, Southern accent. I would invest in that. And it's so hard because you just don't get it back. Like there's no guarantee. Whereas I wonder if you had a spreadsheet of like hours or you you don't want it. Oh, it would make (laughs) me feel sick. If I actually put into a spreadsheet the amount of money and time and time I put into acting and then how much money I've actually made back from it. Oh, it would. Yeah, it'd be in the red. It would be in the red. That is an unsustainable (laughs) business. My accountant would be like, get out, get out. And it's hard because now I run my own business. And if I put time and energy into my kids, I get something out of it. If I put time and energy into my work, I get something out of it I get fulfillment or I get remunerated like financially you know so it's it's a tricky one to put effort and energy into acting for like a maybe possibly big fat question mark unlikely job yeah so when you start when you make the choice to be an actor you know what you're getting into right like no one will say oh that sounds fun go for it that should be a great career everyone knows it's a super super hard industry that most actors they know are out of work that it's a really tricky profession to choose take us all back to when you fell in love with acting and when you started thinking you might want to be an actor 
Well, you were there for, for it, right? I know, but I'm trying to interview. We have a podcast. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I know. Well, it goes back to Shakespeare days. So Revs and I, I think we mentioned it all the way back in episode one. All the way back. We all have the way ten... back. Three weeks ago in episode one. <laughs> we have 10 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> but I mentioned how we used to do Shakespeare festivals. And my love of acting was definitely entered through Shakespeare. It's the love of language. Mm. I love words. But that was my entry into acting was it's theatre, first and foremost. It was never television or film. It was theatre. Now I'm feeling very philosophical about it all now that I'm in my mid-30s. Oh my god, I'm in my mid 30s. It's <laughs> so hard to stomach that, but I am in my I'm 35. But I feel my love of acting has nothing to do with the shiny side of acting. It's actually I can distill it down to a love of storytelling. Yeah. I love telling a story, which is why I think I love doing this podcast. Yeah. It, it I get my and fix. photography, it all kind of fits And photography in, in the is same storytelling. It, it does. So the Shakespeare Festival at our school was like, everyone grab a scene from they would pick one play or a theme of Shakespeare and everyone would get into groups and like grab a scene and then the parents would have to sit there and like stomach two hours of Shakespeare done by complete amateurs under the age <laughs> of 16 um, and you'd get to costume yourself so it was a lot of like glitter on boobs and it was so fun <laughs> theater blacks um, drama blacks drama blacks and we would all try and make good scene work out of these scripts and you know when we were in year seven we had a crack and then as we got we got really into it we were hardcore drama nerds and every year when we over the christmas holidays we'd start to be like i wonder what the play is going to be i wonder what the play is going to be and then we would sort of try and um grab the best scenes for our group or pick out the best themes and look we entered every category there were multiple categories there was like composition so we had an acapella trio with our bestie Liv we did movement pieces we did we did you choreographed oh yeah I loved being dance captain the best (laughs) and then we would do scene work yeah um and we just frothed on it we just loved it so much because it was you could cast yourself in the best roles I think all the drama teachers always wanted to make me like the scullery maid in the back corner You didn't really have that problem. But I, I could I, be like, well, I'm directing this and I shall play. Will confess, was often offered Juliet. <laughs> often. <laughs> Always. Always Juliet. <laughs> anyway, so we just frothed on that and we loved it. And we, we, we ended up going, like getting into the competition side of things and yeah. going to like drama meets. Yeah. And by the time I got to year 12, I did it for my HSC. And it was actually my drama teacher who said, I think you should audition for acting school. And so I did. I went to the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Hey, wait, before we get there. Yep. I think people who don't know about drama geekdom, it's kind of like if you're really into sport at school. Yes. You might be like really into netball and you love it or whatever, but you don't assume you're going to be a professional netballer when no. you leave school. You can be really competitive and really enjoy it all the way up to the end of school. But at, And then at the end of school, some people go like, cool, that was fun. I'm going to go be a lawyer or I'm going to study this or I'm going to go traveling or whatever. And that's kind of like drama stuff. Like you can compete and be really into it. But most people at the end of school kind of go, well, that was great. And now I'm going to go do something else. Whereas I was like, I want to do this forever. For the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So drama teacher said audition for acting school. Yeah, which I did. I got into... Well, just for now, fast forward through the year you had when you were in a Thai pop band. Again, are you trying to throw out these stories for another time? Yes. (laughs) 
that's a goodie. It's true, dear listener. I, I was in a Thai pop band. <laughs> I've never heard you say that sentence out loud. It doesn't sit right with me. If someone can go deep on the dark, dark web and find Gem's Thai pop band, I will personally PayPal you $100. Oh my God. <laughs> I've put a bounty. No one's going to find it. Because <laughs> we were so not successful. <laughs> Anyway, you had a year in Thailand and then you started auditioning for acting schools. Yes. Got into WAPA, which is the acronym for Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And Hugh Jackman went there, famously. Yes, Yes. Hugh Jackman went there. I loved moving to Perth to pursue my craft. And it was great because I got to step away from my Sydney life and really immerse myself fully in this whole new community of my people. Yeah. Like-minded peeps. Yeah. Creatives. It was heaven. It was the best three years of my life. And... When you come out of acting school, you do what's called a showcase, which is where it's so intense, but you basically have to pick a scene and you perform it to a room full of acting agents and managers. So scary. So scary. And then you stand around in the foyer and like wait for people to talk to you. Oh, it's awful. You like buy a pretty dress and you stand in a foyer and you hope that an agent comes up to you and gives you their card. Oh my God. And then you do what's called go sees. And then you meet with these agents and then then you hope that you get an offer to be represented by them. And honestly, I don't know any other way to get auditions. Yeah. You have to have an agent or manager. And this process went really well for you. It did. Yeah. Yes. You had I- a really good coming out. Like you had a really good showcase. You got lots of offers and you chose a really good agent. And that, that part was great. That was all really promising, which definitely would have fueled your like, this is, this is it. I'm going to be doing this. This is going to be my job. Yeah. 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 There were definitely signs of like, no, I should be here. Yeah. Like I'm not I, kidding myself. No, like not, I can do this. Totally. I'm yeah. not like that kid that my mom was like, oh my God, she's amazing. But like, can't sing. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> let it go. Oh my God. Make her stop. All right. So then you've got an agent. Yep. How long till you get neighbors? I did Bell Shakespeare. <gasps> oh my God. Of course. I toured with the Bell Shakespeare right. company for a year and it was amazing. So I thought, okay, theater's my jam. Yeah. Like, like that's where I'm heading. This is all I ever wanted was to do Shakespeare and I was getting paid. Yeah. Like I remembered like And you like, were performing at the opera house and these incredible I arts like venues. I could not believe that yeah. I got was getting paid. Like I got a paycheck. Like up until that point I'd only worked in cafes and pubs and suddenly I was like, wait, someone's going to pay me to do what I love. Like mm. I, I've done the right thing. Like I've followed my heart and here I am. Like yeah. it was a dream. Come and true. against all advice, like I remember a lot of people in your life saying to you, what's plan B? What's plan B? And um, tell me what you used to say back. My mum, <laughs> the queen of, you need a fallback career. You need a, you need a backup I mean, plan. She's not wrong. <laughs> I know. Damn it. You Damn were, it. You're so right, mum. But what did you used to say? People say, what's plan B? What would you say? I don't have a plan B because if I have a plan B, then I'll fall back on it. You used to say, if I have a plan B, I'll use it. That's right. Yeah. If I have a plan B... I'll use it. So I didn't give myself a plan B. So I thought I've just got a plan A yeah, and that's it. And I'm going to pursue it hard yeah. and give it all that I've got. Yeah. There's nothing else. I had tunnel vision. Yeah. I wanted an acting career. The end. So while you're doing touring with Bell Shakespeare, you're also auditioning for commercials, ads, TV shows. Yeah. But Neighbours changed a lot for me because it was my first foray into television. Yeah. Into screen acting. Yeah. Prior to that, I had only done theatre. Yeah. Getting the Neighbours job was wild, guys, because I auditioned on a Tuesday and by the Friday, I was packing up my life to move to Melbourne. I remember. It was so wild. It was weird because I, Rebs and I lived across the road from each other. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I know, it's, we're like a cheesy sitcom. But we did. We lived across the road from each other and literally my life changed in a whole week. And I was like, Rebsy, I'm moving away. I know. It was weird. It was so exciting though. It was exciting. And to join such an iconic TV show like yeah. Neighbours, it wasn't like joining a TV series where it's like, oh, don't know if this is going to get a second season. Yeah, because like, like, we're already on the 742nd season. <laughs> I think it's a goer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I was part of a golden period of Neighbours, but the cast, we just all got along so well. We gelled. They are like some of my favourite people. The crew were awesome. Like we just had a good time. Like yeah. to, Again, another scenario where I was like, I can't believe I yeah. get paid to do this. And it's really workhorsey, isn't it? Which you, you really like. I like, loved it. Like it's, it's very much scheduled. So you turn up at seven? Yeah. Oh no, 5am. Oh shit. <laughs> 5am for hair and makeup. Wow. And you and, work till? Uh, six. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. But it's scheduled. It's scheduled, but it depends on your storyline. Right. So if your character is what's called an A story, it means that you're, you've got a dominant story. That's the, the one that will be in the, the commercial. Yes. Like next week on Neighbours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jade um, cheats on Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> yeah. And then you're working really long hours when you're an A story. And then at other times in the season, you might be a bit dropped back into being a B storyline. And then you get to like work two days a week sometimes oh, and wow. get paid the same oh, like amazing. it was amazing. but I mean I think you make up for that don't you? you do night shoots for the following week and then you're like totally yeah. and look as an actor your ego kicks in and you want to be an a story character yeah. because it's you know you're not, not there to lick to, stamps no, you're not there to <laughs> lick stamps you're not there to not work and how did you find being a soap you know I remember people used to give you a lot of like people like oh you're a name sorry I don't watch it and you're like cool oh, <laughs> don't my... really care story for another time but my <laughs> ex-boyfriend was who I was dating at the time while I was working on Neighbours was the king of diminishing my job yeah. um, while I was working on that show and I really struggled with that because he was like you're better than Neighbours and I used Ugh. to be like hang on I love this job and like, I am working and I, yeah. yeah yeah anyway and how old were you when you were on that show um, I was 23. Because how I remember it was at 23, none of us were making good money. No, and I was suddenly... And you were like, you were making bank. Like you were getting a wage. Thousands of dollars a residuals? week. That's not an exaggeration. Tell everyone what residuals are. Oh my God, residuals are amazing. <laughs> so when you get paid on a TV show, you have your acting fee and it can be based on a per episode minimum. Um, so I was on what's called a three ep minimum. Um, so that was my base wage. So I would get paid for that. But residuals is when, so a show like Neighbours gets sold to many countries all over the world. And then you would get this random check at the end of each year of all your residual payments. So that's like when it's played in Beirut or when it's played in the UK or when it's played in Thailand or yeah. wherever, like yeah. all the places that air it on TV, the actors get a residual. Which is like a cut of what they sold the show for. I guess. I don't I, some algorithm that determines your cut of what they sell it for. Don't know the technical term. <laughs> All I know is that the first year I worked on Neighbours, I got a residual check of thirty thousand dollars. <gasps> yeah. Holy Am I allowed to say this stuff? Shitball. I know. At twenty three. At twenty three. And that's Oh my god, I'm trying to work out what I was earning when I was twenty three. <laughs> But that was on top of my base wage. Wow. That was like bonus money. Of course you like to say it. It's your story. I know, but I don't know. Is um, there like contractual wow. silency things that I don't oh. know about that I sign? No, I think it's amazing that there is acting and creative jobs out there that get paid. Yeah. 
How good. Yeah. Okay, so you're on Neighbours for a couple of years and you loved the job. It was really good. But then you started to think bigger and you thought, I want to go overseas. I did. I think there was a real natural transition. A lot of people in the show had done that before. Yeah, like Margot. Yeah. Like I worked with Margot on the show and then she... Um... Well, we all know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if you've heard of her, Margot Robbie. Done uh, terribly in the industry. You may know her from like such little things as Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, Wall Street. <laughs> with Leo. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a natural transition to want to give that a go. Yeah. And you could save up to support yourself in LA because tell us about the visa process for Aussies in oh, LA. Yes. Yeah. So I was on what's called an O1 acting visa and funny side note the visa is called No Joke Extraordinary Alien. That's the description, the O-1 Extraordinary Alien Visa. <laughs> and it, it's quite tricky to get that visa. So it cost me $8,000 to oh. get my O-1 visa and it was for three years. you got to build up a bank of so much collateral of media articles right. to, prove, to prove you're extraordinary. <laughs> to prove you're extraordinary, <laughs> to prove that you have a body of work yeah. behind you. But here's the tricky thing is that when you're on the O-1 visa, you can't get any other job but an acting job. So you're not allowed to go over there and be a waitress or go over and be a nanny or no. go and do temp work. Well, some people do. They work for cash to survive. Like yep. they'll be a nanny and get paid cash in hand because otherwise yeah. how else can you work? Well, when you're an extraordinary alien, you, know, <laughs> you should just swan around LA waiting for the jobs to roll in. Well, I was in a very privileged position going over to LA. I know not all actors share this yeah, but no 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 no. you weren't in a privileged position you planned for it I did I planned for it I was yeah. we've talked about this but I'm very sensible Sandy you when are. it comes to money and when yeah. I worked on Neighbours I was a hardcore saver I knew I wanted to go over to LA I knew it was going to be tough to get work and you knew you might not ever have another job like this again and you can't just be spending it like like you make it like rain you, like you're going to earn that wage forever you knew this was a once in a lifetime opportunity no. and Revzy you know my life I have been feast famine yeah. feast famine <laughs> oh I know like been flush with cash and I have been broke to the point of eating canned tuna every day of yeah, my life. Yeah. Like I am no stranger to struggling to pay rent. Yeah. So when I went over to LA, I felt really supported with this um, safety net of savings yeah. under my belt. And I knew that it needed to last me three years because my visa was three years and I wanted to prepare for the fact that I may not get a job yeah. for three years. And that was kind of you. And it's and you like to do that. You like to go, okay, I'm going to give this three years because it just puts a little bit of control around something you can't control, right? Oh, God, the lack of control in this industry is monumental. Yeah. Like, it's huge. So you said, I'm going to give myself three years in LA and try and book a job. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> Tell us about LA. <laughs> LA. I went to visit you twice. You did. Oh, you're such a bestie. <laughs> but oh, I thought I, I found it confronting. Yeah, it's a different world yeah. because it's a microcosm of the acting industry. So everyone in LA is connected to the industry in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. Yeah. You might not be an actor, but you might be a writer or a producer or you might be a lawyer or an agent or you might be a craft service business that delivers all the food to the sets. Like it's it's the entire industry is LA. Yeah. So what's really tricky about it is I spent all of my time with actors because that's who I knew. They were my friends. They were my companions. And there's a big Aussie contingent over there. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and the Aussie contingent in LA is actually called the Gumleaf Mafia. I love it. <laughs> so here for that. It doesn't take long to make friends over there because I went over to LA knowing basically two Australians and very quickly built a web of friends. Yeah. 
everyone's in the same boat. But here's the interesting thing. The majority of my friends were actors and it was this weird pool of actors who were right at the start of their careers with no credits to their name. And then we were also hanging out with actors who are killing it and working on huge feature films working with on famous hu- directors and living in huge houses oh, in the wow. Hollywood Hills while some of us were living literally on couches yeah paying and you're all the same age and all the same level of talented and it's just one of those things that someone's hit it and someone hasn't yet and wow but it's it creates a weird energy yeah because everyone's like, what are you auditioning for? What are you auditioning mm. for? Did you go for this role? So-and-so landed that role. And it's so toxic. Mm. I imagine but- everyone's quite hungry too. Everyone is so thirsty. <laughs> They're parched. It's intense. It's so intense. No, I meant literally hungry. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They're literally hungry because they want to look good on camera. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that fuels that side of things. That's all I can think about is just how hungry everyone must have been. we've moved on from the body image topic, Revs. Why are you still there? Get over it. (laughs) And the other issue with a whole bunch of Australian actors hanging out together on these visas is everyone's idle because no one's working. Mm. So to fill your time is really hard. You go for a hike. (laughs) I would go for a coffee, cheap coffee. for a hike go to Ralph's which is the local supermarket and buy my canned tuna like it was just surreal because everyone's it's like a waiting room it's a waiting room and so to to paint a week in my life in LA for you I would get up wait to hear from my agent if an audition came through I'd be like great learn my lines that would take me usually an hour two hours then I'd figure out my outfit (laughs) for that audition (laughs) And let's say my audition's the next day. So that's my day, right? That's my day. Then you have to plan your route and how many hours it's going to take you to drive there, right? Audition day and LA traffic. Yeah. What a joke. Literally could take you an hour to get to an audition. But hey, that fills up an hour in my week. The more the merrier. The more the merrier. (laughs) Drive to my audition. Do the audition, which often takes anywhere from 10 minutes. See all the other Eurasians in town. (laughs) To 20 minutes. And then I'm out the door. And they're like, Gemma! I will take Gemma now. Called you Gemma, right? I got called Gemma all the time. I think because there's a huge Spanish population oh. and G in... I know, you're like being quite offensive. Am I? Yeah, you didn't realise it. Is Gemma a name? No, Gemma's not a oh. name, but G's in Spanish are often pronounced as hard G's, which is G. Oh, right, like Gabriella. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, of course... A lot of people were calling me Gemma. Yeah, this is ignorant and wild to me (laughs) that Gemma is not a name in the US. Not a common name, no. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, so then I do my audition, walk out the door, and then I'd be like, cool, (laughs) done. Get something to eat. Get some things to eat, (laughs) go home, and then wait for my agent to contact me with the next audition. Like, that was my life. Yeah, and some days don't hear from your agent at all? Some days, yeah, frequently don't hear from your agent. And then... They have what's called pilot season, which was Jan to March. Pilot season, interestingly, is breaking down now. But back in the day when I was in LA, it was this intense period where every single new show gets cast and 
goes into production. Because there's like a season in... T- there used to be a season in TV when all the channels would launch their new shows for the year. Yes. So this was like going backwards, they would shoot the pilot, which is the first episode yep. of a new show. And so they would cast the pilot. You'd in- shoot it. you shoot it. And then you would hope that the pilot gets what's called picked up, which means it gets greenlit for production for a full season. So you could get cast Oh yeah. in like a show like Friends, say. Yeah. Shoot the pilot, meet all the actors, love it, think it's going to be amazing. And then the network could go, no, that show didn't test well, as in the audiences didn't like it. So that's it. It's done. Never sees the light of day. Or it could do six seasons. Well, give you a crazy story. The girl who plays Khaleesi in Game of Thrones in the pilot was a different girl. Oh, wow. So she landed the role of Daenerys Targaryen, (gasps) shot the pilot, the show got greenlit, and then she got recast. Can you imagine? Well, you can imagine. Yeah, I've been recast in a film before. You shot a whole film. I shot an entire film and then I got recast, guys. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, it's so brutal. But again, Hollywood is cutthroat. Yeah. And, and you know that. You know that going in. Know that. And we are all so replaceable, yeah. us actors. And I think that's what I really struggled with while I was there because I didn't feel part of the creative journey. I mm. honestly, and I don't mean to... Yeah, dim- there's no storytelling in that process. <laughs> no, there isn't. And I don't mean to d- diminish acting careers for actors, but you are a talking prop. Warm puppets. <laughs> You're, oh my god, warm puppets. Jesus. But it's <laughs> but it's true because you're not part of the writing process. You're not part of the set design, costume design, production design. When you get cast in a job, you literally are told where to turn up at what time. You're told what to wear for that character. We can see why people go into producing and they want to have more creative control. Or and what I've learned about myself is that the top level, just being an actor and turning up and speaking dialogue wasn't enough for me. Yeah. And the thing that I, the other thing I, God, I struggled with so many things, but the other thing that I struggled with the most was this, I needed to ask permission to mm, act. Yeah. Every creative venture that I've gone into now in my thirties, I didn't have to ask permission. Yeah. I went, you know what? I want to create a little dreamer journal. I'm going to collaborate with Emma Kate and we're just going to make it happen. Like yeah. we did that yeah. ourselves. We didn't have to ask anyone. Yeah. And the thing about being an actor is you are constantly at the mercy of everyone else's decision making. Yeah. So you have to jump through hoops to get approval from the casting agent, then the director, then the producer, then the executive producer. You have to And dumb things like I remember once you were in a casting situation where it was like mm, for palette reasons, we already have a brunette. For sure. <laughs> Like, I've also outrageous, outrageous. That but three years of university you can come down to. Mm, there's already another brunette. Or there's been instances where they've cast the male lead, and I was way taller than them. Oh, and then I wasn't suitable for the role because they needed a female lead who was better matched to him, and he was the first character that was cast. So then I so got so problematic, so problematic. But that's the thing. There's another situation. If I'm going to give another example, where I was down to the final two for a role, and they had no decisions on the ethnicity of the character and the other girl was blonde and blue eyed and I was a brunette and I was like oh this is fun it'll be interesting to see which way they go I love that it doesn't matter how we look that it's come down to our acting ability and then at the last minute the writers decided to put parents in the role and then they cast the parents because they needed a name attached to the project cast the parents the parents were both Caucasian and then I was no longer in consideration So that's how out of control you are as an actor. It is so hard to jump through all of those hoops over and over and over again. And I'm pretty resilient. Yeah, you are. I've got thick skin. You are, you are. And I, I was always very good 
at walking out the door from an audition and literally control alt delete forgetting yeah. I even auditioned for it and if I hear that I've got a callback then it's a bonus but I never sat there going I wonder if I'm going to hear about that and role. you had to educate us all everyone in your life about that like because everyone's like so what have you got on at the moment actors worst nightmare is Christmas day right because every uncle and auntie and cousins like you know what you should do you should be on neighbors dear listeners if you have a friend or a loved one in the entertainment industry or in any situation where they have to audition for something, do them and me a huge favor and don't ask them, did you hear back about that job? Oh, did you get that role? Yeah. Did you get that part? I'll let you know. Trust me, <laughs> that person will let you know when they land the role. And you know what? They might they might not even tell you when they've landed the role because contracts still need to be signed. It still needs to make it to air. There are so many steps before something is actually a tangible show yeah. on your screens. Yeah. You landed a job once and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. You're like, chill out. We'll celebrate when it's on a screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rob Lowe in his autobiography tells this fabulous story where he shot this amazing movie and then he like bought his own ticket to the cinema and watched it and he was so excited and he watched the whole film and realized his character had been cut out. Oh yeah, that's another thing. You can go shoot something and then they can cut that storyline. Yeah. Yeah, brutal. Brutal. And then as you start to get older as well, life comes into play, right? Like you were cast in a play a couple of years ago, but then you got pregnant. I know a lot of our acting friends will say, oh, I really need a job, so I'm going to book a holiday. Oh, so true. Book a holiday and then you're guaranteed to get a job and you'll have to cancel your holiday. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so all that behind you and here you are now. Why did you leave LA? (laughs) Because I failed. Sorry, you failed? Well, I booked a pilot, very excited. It didn't get greenlit, so it didn't happen. I just reached a point in my life where I was like, I need control. I need to know that my hard work and effort is going to amount to something rather than a maybe, a big fat maybe slash unlikely if you look at the statistics. Can I just say though on the failure thing, that's not failure. No, I know. That's like saying, you know what? I really want to win the lottery. And I'm going to do everything I can and throw everything I've got into winning the lottery. And you buy the lottery ticket and you don't win. And it's like, well, I failed. I failed at winning the lottery. That's how, that's just the same. I know. But if I'm honest, I've reframed the word and term failure in my head. Like failure is not a bad thing. No, God, no. I mean, thank God I failed because there is nowhere else that I want to be in my life than where I am right now. And I had to fail. I had to, okay, failure might be too harsh a term, but I had to learn. If we convert the word failure to lessons, it was a big fat (laughs) lesson of what I didn't want anymore in life. You didn't want to be at the mercy of other people's tastes. Well, it's hard. The acting industry broke my heart so many times over that I'm almost still in recovery. Oh my God, I so understand. Yeah. Yeah. We've often talked about being creative or being in the arts industry as having an abusive boyfriend because you love it so much. You love it so much that you would do anything for it for such a long time. It continually hurts you, tells you it's your fault. Lets you down. (laughs) Lets you down. And it starts to feel really abusive. And everyone in your life starts to go, hey, you reckon you should leave him? And you're like, fuck you, I love him. I would never, it's who I am. Exactly. How dare you? And then at some point you're just like, I have this to walk is away. toxic yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's what acting became for me, a toxic, abusive boyfriend. Yeah. Which is why I haven't been able to let go, guys. Yeah. Like, I'm still in it. I think this is why this conversation feels raw because I'm not a recovered 
yeah addicts yeah <laughs> i'm still in you're still in love i'm still in love you still but hold I'm, a candle i do i carry a very strong burning flame for it still so what would happen if tomorrow you landed a big movie what would you do so if you asked me this question two years ago just two years ago i would have said oh well i'd pack up my life and move to go and do that job yeah if you ask me that now the first thing i'd say to you is where's it shooting yeah how long for what am i giving up yeah to do this what how does it impact my children how does it impact hubs and then i would really have to think about it yeah I will never forget, I did an audition once for an HBO series. I had to say in the slate that I would be happy to move to Beijing for six years. Oh my God. Because when you sign a contract on a series, a standard contract will be a six-year season. There's no assumption that a series will shoot for six years, but it might, like Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. for example. So they need actors to commit to that on camera before they offer you the job i mean the thought of that now yeah i mean it makes me feel a little bit sick because i me and hubs want to raise our kids in australia we moved back to australia to have our family here like it was very strategic yeah so i wouldn't agree to that now yeah to pick up our lives and move to china i know some people would be like but that would be such a cool adventure but that means being away from grandparents and my friends and my friends kids who i'm now obsessed with and don't want the podcast (laughs) (laughs) no we could still do the anywhere. oh i can see it's painful well i guess what's weird is i almost feel like i don't recognize myself Mm. that's the big thing what happened to jem who got twinkle toes with excitement when an audition landed in her inbox where did she go because now she's just fallen in love with other things oh that's a nice way of looking at it you just have other you're just motivated in a different direction now i think it's cool to evolve and to have things that are more important that's okay i think the trick is when you wrap your identity up in what you do yeah and we've both fallen victim to this before yeah instead of who you are who you actually matters and what you give yeah you can come a cropper because when your whole identity is based around your job and that job doesn't go well then you can have a real crisis yeah i mean i when i pivoted into photography i remembered really battling with myself well am I still an actor or am I am I a photographer now but I I don't want to not be an actor but then I need to take ownership of the fact that I'm also a photographer and I remember my girlfriend Claire we were walking up Runyon Canyon in LA and I said Claire I don't know what to do like photography has just come so easily to me like the jobs are flowing acting has turned its back on me and left me for dust and then all these people want to hire me as a freaking photographer but but I, 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 I want to chase the acting dream, but the photography dream was chasing me. Like, yeah. I know that sounds weird, yeah. but, it, but it was. And I remember Claire, so simple, turned to me and said, why do you have to choose? Yeah. What? Like, who's Just be said? both. And, you know, oh God, such foresight for her because now it's so normal to be to a wearer. Be a <laughs> to be a slashy, to yeah. be a wearer of many hats. Like, yeah. it's so accepted. It's like, I do this, this, yeah, this. Yeah, the millennials this. are amazing at it. They've got portfolio careers. Yeah. They're many things. It's wonderful. Yeah. But at that time, yeah. back then. What do you do? Was the question. What do you do? Is the question. You had to yeah. have a very straightforward answer. And when Claire said that to me, I was like, yeah, I'll just do both. And I did. I pursued both hard auditioned hard took acting jobs 
intensely, like said yes to everything, probably just to the detriment of my own health at times. It was great. Like I didn't, I, it liberated me because mm. it was like, cool, I don't have to be one or the other. I can do both. Yeah. But then, you know, as things happen, when things go well in one direction, it starts to consume more of your time, more yeah. of your energy. And then suddenly I found that photography became the number one thing in my life and acting slipped into playing second fiddle, which is fine. It wasn't gone. I didn't yeah. give it the boot, but it's yeah. just, it's just parked into a different spot yeah. in my heart. And where does your Instagram life come into this? Oh God, really? Yeah. God, that's a whole other beast. That's okay. Well, the Instagram thing was a completely organic thing. Like it, I, I guess it grew naturally as being a photographer. So back in the day when Instagram wasn't rife with dodgy algorithms that just make people feel shit about themselves, it was just a place to curate images. And I preferred it to Facebook because people were uploading freaking albums with like 200 <laughs> photos. And I loved how neat and clean Instagram was. It was post a pic. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. It was like choosing the highlight. Yeah. And I guess I was on Instagram at a time when bloggers were becoming a thing, like before influencers were really a thing. And I just photographed my friends in LA for free, for fun. And a lot of them were upcoming actors, I suppose. And they shared the images to Instagram. They tagged me as the photographer or, you know, would give me a shout out like, thanks, Jem, for snapping me. And then people would ask them, oh, how was it working with them? And then they would email me and ask me for rates. And then that's, that's, how it grew. that's how it grew. And then I reached a level in my photography career where I didn't need to share my portfolio because of word of mouth. So then I started to share my personal journey into working for myself or becoming a mother and struggles with falling pregnant and then connected with this whole community and I thought oh this is this is where I want to be like I love chatting but my Instagram has been a slow burn and I love that I've never wanted to jump into um I think they're called like pods like loop pods where influencers get to get they're like influencers kind of get together and do those giveaways where you have to like oh, follow. Yeah, yeah, I see those yeah, floating around. What, yeah. what are they? I, I, I don't know what the technical term is, but look, I don't want to judge influencers for doing that. Like sure. it, it's a way to grow your following okay. really quickly because, you know, if you have. Oh, is that where it's like you can win $10,000? Yeah, follow these 30 accounts. Right, you have to follow all of yeah, them. Yeah, so if all those people each have 50,000 followers and right. people who want to enter the giveaway, they all follow. Oh, where does the money come from? The influencers put it in. Oh, everyone puts the money in? Yeah, so if an influencer gives... Oh, my Whoa. God, am I really... I should do an unveiling of... Expose. Uh, exposing. Well, I don't know. Is stories. It, I mean, it's think of it like marketing budget, right? right? So, okay, I'll give you an example. So if 10 influencers each put in $100 each... Yep. They can do a giveaway of a thousand dollars. People right. want to. Who doesn't want to win a thousand bucks? Sure. And then they make it so that you all have to follow all of the influencers. Then they might gain ten thousand followers for a hundred bucks. For a hundred bucks. Right. I mean, Whoa! So, I just I never even thought about that yeah, side that's, of things. That's what they do. And the reason why it's not for me is because I don't want anyone to ever feel forced into following me for the sake of a competition i like people to just find me because someone recommended my page or 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 they like a picture or they want to be part of your life or someone sent them you don't want people there who don't want to be there that's how you get trolls i imagine and do you get trolled 
I know the answer, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being the dear listener today. Oh, yeah. I mean, dear listener, if you want me to do like a bear all on life as an influencer, I'm really happy to. Yes. I like, I genuinely feel like influencers play an important role yeah. in terms of helping businesses. They yeah. are a legitimate business now. I wish people would get behind that. Totally. Being an influencer for me hasn't gelled or come as naturally to me like I haven't necessarily felt fully aligned with it but yeah let let me know and I'm I'm happy to do a I could, guys I'll grill her I'll grill her about everything you want to know about influencing and well I'm an open book I'm happy to talk about I don't have anything to hide oh honey that's a lot have you ever laid it out like that before no in one breath and as I said I'm still processing it because it was just this week when I had three auditions come in and I just found myself you don't have time for that I just hate feeling like I'm letting my agent down and that's how I felt this whole week where I'm I'm not at my best see this is why I think you're so suited to being your own boss you can't if you're the boss of everything you can't let anyone down you call the shots you make the rules I know you hate the word entrepreneur but that is the entrepreneurial personality you can't be like trying to keep everybody else happy. You just charge on without permission. Again, I think that's a really polite way of describing my control freakiness. Fine, whatever. Call it what you want. It works for you. Yeah, it's it's where I've come to at this age and stage of life and it, it feels right. Yeah. I really love working for myself. I love the freedom and flexibility and just being the decision maker. Yeah. So it's really funny with this podcast now with Revzy because we have to be co-decision makers. <laughs> How's that going? Fine. Yeah, Whatever. Like... You worked for yourself for 10 years <laughs> running a hugely successful business. So dear listener, we take turns editing the episodes and then when Jem edits, I'm like, great, upload it. Trust you. When I edit, I send Jem the file and she's like, I'm just going to do a really light pass. <laughs> <laughs> I just like a nip and a tuck and a tight ep. She doesn't like dead air. I don't like dead air. And also, I love a 45-minute episode, no. whereas Revs likes a one hour. But now two, we're learning. Two, three hours. <laughs> Look, we're learning from you, dear listeners, that actually quite a number of you like longer eps. <laughs> so I'm surrendering. <laughs> if an episode hits... Team fifth- Kate! Team <laughs> Kate! Oh, do you know what I would like you to do? What? This is a little... You're going to be mad at me. Dear listener, I haven't run this by Gem. I would like you to be on Dancing with the Stars. No. Yes. Why would I want to be because on that Because you're show? an amazing, beautiful dancer. And I just think it would be so fun for everyone to don't give me that look. You'd be amazing. Do you know the hours they oh, have right. to do? Oh, right. Chill, chill, chill. But for how long? Six weeks? One week if you get kicked out. <laughs> Pick an awesome charity. Well, don't assume I get kicked out. Hey, there's the <laughs> ambition I like to see. <laughs> Channel 7, if you're listening... Gemma Peanut. Oh my God, no. Of the We Don't Have Time for This broadcast. Hang on, first of all, first of all, is that show still going? What do you mean? Of course it is. Is it? Sure. I feel like it went away for a bit and then it's had a resurgence. Hey Siri, is Dancing with the Stars still on Channel 7? Okay, searching the Apple TV app for Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the stars. Siri, you're no good to us. Hey Alexa, have you got an Alexa in here? (laughs) I do. Alexa. Is Dancing with the Stars still on Channel 7? I'm sorry. I don't know the air date of Dancing with the Stars. Dancing. So maybe it's not on anymore. Look, I think it's still on. If it's on, you've got to be on it. Gem, shmem, gem, shmem. <laughs> I'd love to see you doing the Pasa Doble with... Oh, well, now that you say it, I'm kind of into the idea of it. Yes! She, she's open. Guys, she's open. Please contact her agent. <laughs> oh my God, I am so not famous enough to be on Dancing with the Stars. 
Or is it full of D-grade celebrities and maybe I'd slot right in because I'm an F-grade? I might, I might just make the cut. You'd be the underdog. Aussies <laughs> love an underdog. Okay, I think we've gone deep and dark into your soul enough for now because I can see you squirming over there and getting uncomfortable and needing to go and refuel. So, hashtag not sponsored. Okay, so... Can I go first? Sure. Dear listeners, my hashtag not sponsored is not sponsored, but it's super biased. Oh, okay. Gems Photography Course, Photography 101. Oh my God. Don't cringe. No, it's really amazing. It's coming out. When is it launching? Guys, she's red, bright red and squirming. 15th of Feb, enrollment opens. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Limited spots because Gem is super duper involved. She will guide you through learning manual photography. People are going to think I paid you for this. Okay, well, I'm I'm declaring not sponsored. (laughs) Shush, let me do the ad. Okay. Um, it sells out super fast, usually under an hour. Jem's always up at 5 a.m. hoping her computer doesn't crash because it's like gone. If you are in lockdown, ISO, in between jobs, anything like that, this is the coolest creative project to sink your teeth into. If you've got a DSLR sitting on your shelf collecting dust that you haven't used or you don't know how to use properly, you can only shoot on auto mode, you need to do this course because you can suddenly then use the gear you've got, take beautiful photos of your kids oh and God, your family. Oh my God, stop. No. It's, you're, I mean, I'm, I'm so touched that you're making this your hashtag not sponsored. And the videos are really easy to follow. They're beautiful to look at. It's heart-led. It's for women. That's my hashtag not sponsored. I will put a link in the show notes. <laughs> my god yes photography 101 doors open next month and i'm so excited for the next intake of shutterbugs so if anyone wants to come along for the creative you haven't ride, done one in a while right uh the last one was october last year yeah so i reckon gonna... if you're in lockdown this is such a cool way to spend it, it gives well, I... you a purpose and i've also i also love that the course attracts a lot of mums on mat leave yeah. who want to photograph their kids yes. it's really lovely yeah but yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a beautiful community. And yeah, I'm so G'd up to go back into teaching because that is another happy space for me. Wow. Well, I don't know. <laughs> What's yours? Gosh, goodness. Well, do you need anything promoted? <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> no? Well, if you do, I owe you. My God. What a sales pitch. Uh, As I said, I'm super biased. <laughs> I think it's amazing. My hashtag not sponsored is one of my favorite kids clothing stores. Because of the color palette. Yes, of course. And all their stuff is also the to- tonally very gender neutral, which I love. It's got all the earth tones. I feel like everyone's going to eye roll and go, yes, Jim, we know <laughs> you love earth tones. But it's a brand called Kindly Australia. And the other thing that I love about Kindly Australia is it's so reasonably priced. Yeah. You know how sometimes those like kids clothing boutique stores charge like $80 for a singlet and a pair of shorts. Well, Kindly Australia is much more affordable. And I have a discount code. Yay. Um, Hit us. Once again, what is the code? I believe it's peanut15. Once again, give peanut10 a go. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. I, give I could... it a whirl, guys. Roll the dice. <laughs> you will be supporting a small biz mum, which I am all about. Love to see it. And her stuff is beautiful. Revs, you have some Kindly Australia I stuff. I have the beach ponchos. They're freaking amazing. Oh my God. I love the beach ponchos. Yeah, because they're made of like a light hoodie material. You chuck them on because the kids get a bit shivery after the a yeah. beach session. You chuck them on and they're so Super comfy. Warm. You don't need to dress them or anything and you can, you know, sort of get away with going into a fish and chip shop or whatever. Yes, and there's beautiful like rust colours or khaki, yes, olive or storm. storm or I think Driftwood. <laughs> We're back here again. We're back here again. I'll be sure to add it all in the show notes. Whoop!
Kiatra. We need a real peppy today. One of these days we'll have an outro to our podcast. Are we actually going to write an outro to the podcast? No, look, we've done enough. Yeah, we have. Get out of the ears. We don't have time for this. Bye. There's so much sand in your bed. Is there? Yes. I don't know who's going to the beach and then jumping into bed. I'm married to a fish. Seriously, what is going on? I know. It's hubs. It's all hubs. <laughs>